Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. And welcome, it's the Filmmakers Podcast. Hell yeah, get in there, you are amazing, (laughs) you're listening to this podcast. Welcome, thank you for listening, thank you for taking the time to click play on whatever application you listen on. Thank you, Um, this podcast is all about how to make films from indie films to studio films and everything in between how to make them how to get them made and how to try not to f it up in our very humble opinion today i am playing you the first ever make your film event it is live it is with myself and dom lemoire hosting it so we thought we'd treat you to it. This is part one. Part two will be out on Friday. It was so long. We went for two and a half hours of amazing insights and information. I've cut it down a bit so you can get right to the heart of making indie films. We got some amazing guests on our first panel, including Adam Morse, who talks about working with Billy Zane and making a film. When you have a secret... Uh, we talk with Matt Hookings about making uh, Winter Ridge and I Love My Mum and producing in general. Jenna Suru about making a feature film pretty much on your own, directing and producing it, starring in it. And our final guest is Finn Glynn, who has made plenty of feature films and he gives some wonderful advice, but you'll have to wait till Friday for that, or most of it anyway, because he is mainly in part two. So yeah... This is the first ever live Make Your Film event hosted on the Filmmakers Podcast. Thank you for listening. I am Giles Alderson. I am a director, producer and a screenwriter. I've recently made the feature film The Dare, which is very close to being finished. And there's a trailer dropped at Berlin and we'll be at Cannes. And um, we're selling the film and it's very exciting. And that is with Millennium Films, who are bringing help. Hellboy very soon. I'm also a producer of Serial Killer's Guide to Life and Cassette uh, and also directed the documentary World of Darkness. And my latest documentary is Food for Thought. And myself and Dan Richardson, fellow host of the podcast, are gearing up for our first ever crowdfunding campaign, which starts next Wednesday. So I'll be shouting all about that. The moment we're going through all the rewards, editing the video, really thinking about who we're targeting and aiming at. It's very exciting. So yeah, look out for that. Uh, I'll be pushing that over the next uh, month or so. So yeah, do help us if you can. And I'm also in prep at the moment for King Arthur, uh, for a version of King Arthur anyway. It is called Knights of the Round Table at the moment. So I'm in the middle of casting, location scouting, uh, talking with the producers about how we're going to do this and that and try and all do it on, on, on the budget we have. So it's very exciting. But it's also a lot of work at the moment. And what I'll do is I'll update you on all that and how I'm feeling and what's going on as I go along. For those of you who came to the webinar last week, thank you very much. I hope you got a lot out of it. We're doing another one, which is uh, how to go from short films to feature films. And that is on the 27th of March. Uh, So if you want to do that, tickets are available. They are in the show notes and it's under a tenner. Come and join us for that. Okay, so let's get to it. It's the Make Your Film event. We are letting you listen to this as a one-off. This won't happen every time. This is to show you what can happen at a Make Your Film event and what you can learn by turning up and listening. So, that's why me and Dom thought, yeah, let's let everyone hear this Make Your Film event. And I'm glad because 
there's some great advice uh, and it's wonderful to hear um, and thank you all those that turned up it was lovely to see so many of you so thank you for coming down the next one by the way the next make your film event live event is going to be on march the 5th tickets are going now they're selling out it's really exciting we've already got uh, fizz and gingers matt and tori butler heart there and we've also got jack tarling from the bafta nominated god's own country he produced that film as well as await further instructions yeah more guests are going to be announced soon anyway let's get to it this week's podcast is the make your film event live or part one anyway enjoy Hello, hello and welcome to the first ever Make Your Film event. Thank you all for coming down. Thank you. Thank you. So we basically put on this uh, event because a lot of people are told what they can and can't do in film. We wanted to put on something to show you that anything's possible. Uh, We've got really amazing panellists here and they've kind of made films that aren't necessarily in the usual genres. So we want to... Shout out about what they're doing, basically. Absolutely. We will be doing a Q&A at the end, so get your questions ready. Also get your notepads and pens out, because hopefully we'll learn something today. I promise you. I'm Joss Alderson. Uh, with me to the left is Dominic to the left. To the right, your left, is Dominic Lenoir, otherwise known as Dom Lenoir, who not only made three feature films before the age of 30, the little fucking bastard, um, uh, of which he produced and directed the award-winning Winter Ridge, which is available now, by the way. Starring uh, Matt. Which stars Matt. And that's Winter Ridge, and that's Dom. He's hosting it with me. And also we've got Giles here, who's the host of the very popular Filmmakers podcast, who's also made his first studio film called The Dare with Millennium Films. And he's also released uh, uh, and co-produced <laughs> Cassette and A Serial Killer's Guide to Life. My memory's not very good, as you may have noticed. First of all, should we introduce our brilliant panel? Yeah? All right, all right. So we have, first of all, we've got Matt Hookings. Yeah. We've got Adam Morse. Woohoo! We've got Jenna Suru. And we've got Finn Glynn. All right, so let's um, give us a show of hands, those who have made a short film. It's pretty much nearly everyone in the room. And feature film. A couple. Anyone made more than one feature film? This guy, okay. Yeah. So th- those yeah. people who put their hands up, spot them and speak yeah. to them afterwards. It's a networking H- event. Hunt them down Don't at speak the end. to them. It's important. Well done, you guys. It's an amazing achievement to do that. Um, it is hard to make feature films. Uh, I just open it up to our panel straight away. Uh, Finn, let's go with you. How, how's it, making films? I think uh, when you start out, it's much harder than sort of when you get a bit of momentum. I think that uh, once you get an idea of what exactly you're doing and who you're looking to sort of collaborate with, it gets considerably easier. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is my take on it. Once, you, once you've got a sort of an in with maybe a few financiers or some of the talent agencies and you can sort of, you've built a bit of a trust network, then I think it gets easier. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Jenna, in your mind, do you think that making films is ridiculously hard and why the fuck are we doing it? One of the main, I think, things that can curb the production of a movie is definitely the budget and the finance and how to put it together. And also probably... Um, the cast and how to get the right crew together but I would say definitely budget yeah very good Adam in your opinion making films I don't know I think it's it's interesting because I look at it as like the hardest easy thing to do do you know what I mean like it's it's um, it, it, it's kind of like really simple and straightforward in many ways because it's just banding people together that share the same belief but um yeah, obviously there are obstacles and it can be tough, but it's not like, you know, rocket science or open heart surgery. Um, I don't know if it's something that requires 10,000 hours of practice. I think anyone here could do it. Yeah, that's great. Totally agree with that. It does make sense. Um, it isn't brain surgery. It isn't open heart surgery, that's for sure, because that's really hard. But you can make your film, you can do it, but learning some skills and having some ability and, and learning the techniques is massively important. Matt, what about in your opinion? Uh, I would just echo exactly what everyone said here. I think that the difference between features and shorts that you know you, you the feature film process becomes a business, and the filmmaking process is still the same you 're just making a longer short film, but the business side of dealing with talent budgets you know considerable amount of money you 've got to have your head on both sides, so looking at the business side and the filmmaking side as well um, but again, like adam said it 's not you 've 
the hardest thing I think is getting everyone in a room because you get the right people in a room and get across the same vision and everything you want to make, um, it'll, it'll happen. And it is, it's very much just committing to build the right team that are actually going to go all the way, like whether you're doing a short or a feature. It's very much the same thing. It's just on a much bigger scale. Um, a feature is a much bigger commitment. But if you've been working with some really great people on shorts uh, and you just say, right, we're going to make a feature, then you, as soon as you make that decision, you say, I'm going to make it, whatever happens, that's half the battle. So. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, should we jump straight in with Adam's film? Should we show yeah. everyone Adam's film sure, and then we'll talk about how we made it and what, what happened there, yeah? Um, so Adam, can you talk us through a little bit of the mindset and how you kind of had that belief and knew you were going to go and make out a feature film like that? Uh, to be honest, it started out as a short film that I wanted to make as a follow-up to my debut short, The Window, and I wrote uh, a short film screenplay um, for Lucid, um, which I quickly abandoned after I realised, uh, well, I had some... Um, good mentorship around me from other people that had read the short and said this can go so much deeper you know as, as a story and um so then i started thinking okay how could i do this um as a feature um on a on a modest budget and um yeah there was never any doubt in my mind that i could uh tell a story for you know for an hour and a half or whatever a feature length um film and, and and you know engage audiences for that long because essentially it's you know obviously on the production side this is different but from as a director I, I think you're still you know trusting your own instincts about what entertains you and that's how I work to be honest I just think what, what would I want to see in the cinema what entertains me what's like the most interesting way to do something or play a scene or you know what's the coolest sounding music or the dopest looking shot <laughs> you know what I mean so um, yeah, I, uh, I had, I always had the, the confidence in myself that I could make a feature film. Um, but I was surprised, at, you know, at how it escalated uh, to something bigger than I thought it would be. Because originally it was, I was going to make it for a lot less money, um, and you know, I didn't expect to have someone like Billy Zane come on board. And could you could you talk a little about that because? Uh, Usually it's like a massive chicken and egg situation. You're trying to get cast, you don't have the money. You're trying to get the money, you don't have the cast. You kind of got around that with quite an interesting and kind of daredevil story. Maybe you're going to go into that a bit. Yeah. So I wrote the film and I knew that uh, I was going to be producing the film as well. I just figured, you know, if anyone's going to get this over the line, it's got to be me. You know what I mean? Like, I've got to carry the responsibility of, um, you know, seeing this through and working with every department. And so while I'm writing it, I'm writing it with a producer's hat on, as they say, you know, and I'm, and I'm looking at um, this character, Elliot, who plays a dream doctor, the therapist who, you know, take, uh, helps the kid who you saw in the trailer. And... So, you know, while I'm scheduling as well, I'm thinking, okay, this, if I can shoot this guy in a week, you know, that, that could be quite attractive for, um, for, for, for any actor, um, because it's an interesting role, um, where, you know, he's not your typical kind of like, I don't know, um, sensei, you know what I mean? Like, he's a little perverted, a little, a little perverse, but he's, he's, um, you're not quite sure of his intentions, of why he's helping him, and, and I thought, you know, this could, the material could speak to an actor, and because you know it's quite uh, an easy in and out job, let's let's be ambitious about who we can attach. And um, and uh, and I say we, but at this point, it's just me in my boxes in my room, <laughs> and um, the royal we. But that's the but that's the mentality, that's the mindset, because I'm thinking at this point, I, I can already see like, you know, myself on set. I can already see my crew around me, and I'm picturing myself there. So. It's kind of like you believe your own fantasy. Do you know what I mean? Like, and so um, I'm I'm meeting with uh, production houses. I'm shopping this material, the script around, and and no one's on it. Uh, I get you know num numerous different reasons why companies don't want to do it. Um, I don't know. It's too different. It's too edgy. 
And I'm like, these are all the fucking reasons why I want to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Were you these, going, these are were positives. You, were you going to big production houses with that then? So yeah, you... I didn't go to everyone, but I, you know, after so many rejections, you just think, fuck it, I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? So I was like, let me, let me do this independently. I'll do this on my own. Or, you know, we'll do this. Me and the, the non-existent or the, you know, the team in my head of, you know, anyway. So um, I was talking to um, my cousin, uh, Ali Mustafa, who's a film director, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this around. What do I do? And he was like, just, just keep persevering. Just, you know, you'll find someone who'll want to take it. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, I've, I, I'm kind of losing patience here. Like, you know, I just need to get this. I just want to make this thing. And he was, and then he was like, look, you need a casting director that believes in you. That's what you need. I was like, okay. So, you know, and then I start talking to different casting directors. And then I meet a guy called Carl Proctor and he loves it. He reads it and he's like, this is cool. And, um, he's like, yeah, let me just ask you, you know, like, I think the material's great. It's really interesting. Are you, uh, are you good to go? Yeah, of course. No hesitation. <laughs> I mean, I'm already there in my head. Of course. Every night. Every yeah, night. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, uh, okay. So you're, you're, you know, you're green lit then. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what you tell them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're fully financed. Yeah. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. I, I, well, actually, to, to be fair, I had had a I had raised a little bit of money at that point, or I had a company, uh, an LOI from um, the first forty k. That's not going to go a long way, is it? Anyway, but anyway, I'm like, okay, look, it's and at this point, you know, I had a much smaller budget in mind. I was thinking I could maybe make the whole thing for like a quarter of a mil, uh, or maybe around two hundred k and shoot this thing. Then I was talking to Carl about Elliot, the, uh, the dream doctor, and I said, look, I, I, I think this is a part that we can attach a star actor for, for all the reasons I just previously mentioned. And Carl shared my ambition and was like, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting role. Um, and uh, he, goes, he goes, have you ever thought about, he goes, what about Billy Zane? And I was like, Interesting. I hadn't thought about Billy for the part until then. <laughs> but I was like, okay. Um, I was like, the dude from Titanic. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah, it could be interesting. Shamefully, I hadn't actually seen Dead Calm at that point. And he was like, you've got to see this film, Dead Calm. I was like, okay. So I watched it. And then I was like, ah, I get it. Okay, this is what he's seeing. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, I was just like, wow, okay. This, this, this would be great. This is a dream. Uh, and... So when I heard back a week later, oh, Billy's read it, he likes it, he wants to do it. I was like, fuck. <laughs> and, th and this wasn't a pay or play offer, this was due... Of course it's a pay or play offer, yeah, yeah. We, they're like, we need money in escrow tomorrow. I was like, shit. Yeah, shit. <laughs> you have nothing in escrow. Shit. What is escrow? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that was my question, what's escrow? Yeah. What does that mean? You know what I mean? Like, I didn't go to film school. I didn't, I didn't go to film school. It's a holding account where you can put money, investor can put money, which is safe place that you can't spend it until it's all been signed off. So everyone knows that's escrow. Which, which generally happens when you've got an A-lister, which is why it's very difficult to get A-listers yeah. on. And the project. point is, if the money is there and you don't uh, have the uh, money there by the date, it gets released and the talent gets paid whether or not the movie happens. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. So you could lose all that money, basically, if you're putting your own money in. I don't have any money. Not yours. Whoever's in this escrow. We don't have any money at this point. Well, no, I have some money. And, you know, I've got some very promising conversations bubbling on the surface with different prospective investors. Um, but still, at this point, I've got no doubt in my mind that I'm going to make this movie. The money will come. I just know it will. I just fully believe that I could just, like, see it happening. So now I'm in a race, obviously, to, to raise this cash while um, we've got the interest of this Hollywood star. Meanwhile, by the way, I'm auditioning uh, other actors for the lead, uh, Zell, the boy in the trailer. And I remember, yeah, when, when Laurie walked in, it was just a different feeling, you know, to anyone else that had come in the room. He had a, like a really unusual quality that I couldn't put my finger on. And then at this point, we have obviously, I had already, I've scheduled everything myself again in my bedroom in my boxes, uh, budgeted everything on my own, you know, doing the job of the first AD, the line producer, 
and again, I didn't go to fucking film school. I don't know any of this stuff. So I'm just kind of, are you, are you I'm, just Googling, I'm Googling everything. You're Googling. I'm, I'm learning. How do you do a budget? How do you do a schedule? How do you do this? How do you do that? I'm just trying to learn it all. Thank God for the internet. You know, this is the thing. This modern day age of information we live in, you can learn anything. You know what I mean? You've got to go to school. You, you know, you've got a school in your fucking pocket. You've got, a, you've got the internet. So true. Right. So to learn anything. Yeah. I mean, I'm, obviously it doesn't compare with life experience and actually being out there in the real world as opposed to just reading something on a screen. But anyway, it's, the, you know, something at this point. And um, I go for a coffee with Laurie and I say, look, you know, I'm going to have to push these dates back, I think. The shooting dates, and I, you know, he sinks straight away. Like, I can feel him, you know, go, oh, you know, he's like, and I'm just as deflated. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, it's really frustrating, you know, but it's, and he's like, well, you know, what's the problem? I said, look, it's just, uh, you know, fi- some finance and cash flow issues. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. Yeah, like, a, no like, a, yeah, like a lot of cash flow issues. <laughs> and then, um, he said, look, I don't want to overstep my mark. I know I'm just an actor, but, um, I have a I have a friend, uh, someone that I want you to meet, and uh, maybe he, you know, I want you to meet him anyway. But he's from the business world. He's not. He knows nothing about film. But maybe he could help you. You know, with maybe one of his contacts or associates that just worth speaking to. I said, yeah, sure, of course. So he introduces me um, to this guy called Adam Rose. So I sit down with my namesake, and I'm like, okay, we get along really well. And I tell him about the story of Lucid and why I'm passionate about making this movie and also why it's so personal to me. Film is, is a lot of um, my, my own experiences, you know. Um, and he said, I want to help you. And uh, he, he set up a meeting <laughs> with, um, with someone. We drove up to Manchester together to meet this exec. And we were in the room for about an hour and a half. So I knew that it was going well. You know, I, I lost concept of time. And you could just feel in the room, like there was the energy we were buzzing, talking about, about it. I could, you know, had like an outer body experience pitching it. Uh, that's how excited and passionate I was about making this movie, which I knew I was going to make. And then, so anyway, this, uh, this EP, uh, he, he says, look, really interested. Give me a couple of weeks to do my due diligence and, you know, look into you and what you're like, oh, fuck, here comes the background check. What's he going to find? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, too and, many uh, <laughs> oh, what have I done? Um, and anyway, I'm like, okay, cool. Anyway, a couple of weeks goes by, don't hear anything. Three, four, like after a month, I'm thinking, uh, is, you know, is no news good news? Like, what's going on? And then after six weeks, I get an email on the 1st of April, April Fool's Day, saying, hi, Adam. Yeah, uh, would love to come and board with you with this project. Sounds great. After doing my due diligence, blah, 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 you know, basically count me in. And I was just like, oh, man, this is like like the best day ever or the sickest impra- like practical joke that anyone's ever fucking played on me. You know what I mean? But I, I, Adam called me and said, look, you're going to make, you know, you're going to make a movie. You know, I was, he was like, how do you feel? I was like, obviously, like, it, I was feeling, I was feeling good. And I was like, I said to him, I said, uh, I said, yeah, but I was like, I'm going to need help. I'm going to need help making this movie now. You know what I mean? And he's like, oh man, I'll help you. Like, I'll be a runner or something. I was like, I was like, dude, I don't need a runner. I need a partner. I need someone to have my back and like help me get this thing on the screen. I need, I need a producer. I need a producer. And you know, you can always, every time you talk about something like this happening, you need an element of luck. You know, and you think, oh, things fall your way. And that definitely was the case in many but, ways. But like, it got to a tipping point where it, it could go one way or the other with like a decision of someone or little things along the way. And sometimes it did. But other times you just got to push it your but, way, do you know what I mean? But and, I think very much like the luck that you bring, uh, you know, like meeting that investor, like someone else could meet that investor and they wouldn't have, they'd have walked out of that room and they'd have just been like, okay, yeah, this isn't for me. Because Adam is so incredibly driven by, you know, the film that he's making and he's got so much of himself in it, that's what convinces people and that's what convinces the team. And, you know, when someone looks at you and they just see, fuck, this guy's already made the film, he's, he's just, he hasn't got the money yet, then, you know, that's what gets people on board, basically. I think... There is a lot of truth and significance in being able to, you know, fake it until you make it. But, but there are certain things you can't fake, you know, and that is, you know, passion and, and vision. You need to ha- be able to actually vividly see whatever it is and you have to believe in it with like every bit inside you and like you can't fake that. Do you know what I mean? 
And I think that's important because a lot of people tell you you've got to make a gangster film or you've got to make a horror for your first feature. It's got to be like, you know, 100 or 200K. And it, it's just not the case. It, it's the, the goals are only set by what your limits are. You know, when you're passionate about a story that's personal to you, who else is going to write it, right? I wanted to lastly chat about um, the revelation that you are legally blind. Uh, which not a lot of people knew. Um, a in revelation. Fact, me and me and me and Matt uh, run a film course, and Adam came in with sunglasses, and we just kind of thought, "Fucking hell, this guy's cool. Like, he's wearing he's wearing sunglasses inside. Like, he's just got he's got that kind of vibe." And like, had no idea, absolutely no idea. He but you tricked me for about a year. Yeah. So I, I, I had like eight meetings with him, lots of times. It's amazing. Yeah. How did how did that work on set then? Because apparently, some of your well, your investor didn't know, right, for quite a while. No one knew. No one knew at all? No, no one knew. No. So, well, I mean, my DP knew. Okay. Um, and, and, some, and, and some of the cast, like Laurie, I, we had become really close. Of course, Laurie knew. Um, but yeah, Billy it, found out uh, during filming. <laughs> how, that, was, how was people's reactions to that? Was, I mean, shouldn't make any difference, but I mean, they're kind of uh, going, well, usually it's like disbelief. Like that was the case with Billy because I had to pull out my my card my blind card and show him that I'm actually like registered blind. I think he looked at it and went, "Is this a joke?" And I was like, "No, what a weird joke that'd be." No, I'm not joking. And he, I remember he was just staring at it for so long and just and he was looking at me and he was just thinking like, "Yeah, I think he was. He, yeah, he might have thought it was a joke for a minute, but then um, after that, you know what? Our relationship just instantly changed." Um, because I think he then, you know, knew why I was doing this and how much it meant to me, mm. and, I'm, and I'm sure he had a new, um, you know, appreciation for for what we were all doing. <laughs> it was funny because he did have not suspicions, but he had like questions. Like you can talk to him about it. In fact, he's done a few interviews, and it's, it's fucking funny listening to him go, "Oh, why is the monitor so big? You know, like, and why is he two inches away from it?" <laughs> It's like a 65-inch screen, and my nose is touching the glass. And I remember my um, hair and makeup designer, on the first day of filming, I was, like, framing a shot on day one with my DP, and I was, like, had obviously my head's right in the screen, and I'm, I'm framing up this shot, and I hear her go behind me, oh, look how close he gets. He really cares, doesn't he? <laughs> and um, I just ignored it. I do care. Of course, I care immensely. Like, I really fucking care about this, but that's not why I'm this close. I would happily sit back in a lazy boy, full recline with a can of beer and just direct like, actually, maybe not. Maybe that's not me, actually. But yeah, I probably would be that close because, you know, I, I, I feel like, especially on set, like I have a lot of energy anyway, but I can't sit down. I'm always, you know what I mean? I like to run back and forth and talk to the actors, always be in their ears and just play and have fun, you know? It's... So were you talking to the DP quite a lot? Nick? Again, um, really healthy prep time. Um, for, well, I mean, even before prep, me and Michelle were talking like a year before I even, you know, got into prep about, about the style, the visual language and what we wanted, to, what our intentions were and just, you know, ideas that we both had. And so, um, yeah, we carried that collaboration right through into filming where, you know, we had a shot list, um, that we had, you know, I had a shot list. I brought it to him. We scrapped some things. We, he gave me some new ideas. And we played, you know, in terms of coverage and how we wanted to cover each scene. But then once we got into set, everything was so organic. Do you know what I mean? It was like, fuck the shot list I mean yeah it's good to have it there as a guide and you know there are reasons behind why you want to be this close or why you want to be a bit further away from an actor or what lens you want to swing to and all that kind of stuff And but then on the day everything changes you know once you're actually there in the moment with the actors that's when you really discover um, what what the essence of the scene is and you, you just learn so much more there on the day I feel like so absolutely yeah. actors we, always bring something more to it and mm. I, I totally agree the same thing have your shot list have it ready but be prepared to throw it out the window because as long as you're prepared in your head you can still always go back to it but and because yeah, Adam has also lucid dreamed the whole sequence out differently overnight as well yeah I think it's like learning your go, lines yeah. as an actor do you know what I mean like if, yeah. you, if you know the lines inside out then it can it can take on a life of its own, the performance, and it stops being a performance because you know it so well. It's just you're literally just living it, and you don't need to wait. You, uh, you know what I mean to to know when your cue is. You know you start talking over the person next to you, and you're so in it, you, it becomes like everything's re- reactive. Do you know what I mean? So I think yeah. if you if if you, I, I just love that's my favorite thing about this about um, filmmaking and creating is is the collaboration side of being able to just throw everything out the window mm. and be open ears and then 
or, or open mind, should I say, and, and then be able to just, um, you know, discover things together. And Absolutely. So yeah. basically you made your film because of tenacity, because you just went, fuck it. I don't give a shit. I'm just going to keep going and I'm going to get cast involved. I'm going to get these people involved, but I haven't got any money yet. And then guess what? The money came. And sometimes you do have to do that. You have to open the door a little bit. In some way, otherwise you're going to be sitting back going, oh, I haven't got the money, so I can't make my film. Oh, I haven't got the cast, so I can't get the money. Sometimes you just got to go, well, fuck it, let's try it. <clears throat> A massive round of applause for Adam for fucking doing it. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, can you guys hear us at the back? Apologies. We've never used a fucking sound system before. We have no idea how to use it. Uh, can you hear us at the back okay? Can we yeah? get a wave? Yeah. Perfect. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Um, Great. So, so on to our next guest, uh, Jenna Suru. Yes. And you've made your film in Paris and LA, um, which is quite an ambitious project. And you've produced, acted in, directed, and you financed it yourself. So that's quite a lot of different hats to wear and it's a period film as well which is um, you know, a difficult thing to get off the ground so can you talk about the process of how you got to being able to make this film and how you convinced the investors how you got it off the ground basically well yes actually we shot it in three major regions Paris LA but most of it is set in south of France in the 60s um, I would say probably 70% of the movie was shot there um, so it's definitely a French film. Indeed, I directed it. I wrote it. Um, it was produced by my French feature film company. And most of it was, uh, in, uh, was French-speaking, but also a little bit English-speaking. So just to put it in a nutshell, my vision for the movie was to recreate the Saint-Tropez of the 60s. Because most people know Saint-Tropez. Probably most of you would know this little village. Uh, maybe for a holiday. But what most people don't know is that in the 60s, it was a very special village where all these, especially British uh, rock stars, but not only them, all those artists from France, from French literature, from the US, Jimi Hendrix, would go there just because no one would recognize them because it was just a fishing harbor. And I just wanted to recreate the atmosphere of this village with artists that just leave those brilliant moments there and find inspiration. So I would say that definitely the most important thing for me was this vision. So then, how to make it happen? Um, well, <laughs> again, I, I really feel that the, the real reason why most movies don't get made, as you mentioned, Adam, is definitely the budget. Because you can, for sure, get a lot of people involved. You can have the best project. You can have your vision very clear in your mind. But then... Where's the money? Uh, you can have a lot of interest. Um, so what I did first is that because I'm completely, as you say, I completely believe in it. What I did first is that I worked very hard. I had multiple jobs and I counted. So I would say the first piece of advice I would give to any filmmaker is to have a very precise budget. Uh, originally, I'm more from a distribution background. So I made it very clear in my budget exactly uh, the money I needed and how I would get there. So I worked very hard and I brought actually a lot of the money myself from my work over the past year and a half. Wow. Just to show, because, I mean, it's, it's my vision. I think art is extremely important and your vision is very important. But to me, what's also really important is the distribution process and how you can show uh, that your movie can get made and that everyone can take advantage of it in a way. And so to me, the best way to show that you're convinced your project will happen is that you put your own money to. It's very hard, um, but I would say um, it's extremely important just to show. And I think it's fair. If you really believe in your project, you should be the first person to work really hard for it. And then I, I talked to a few investors for sure. And, uh, well, if I had to give some advice, I think what I did is that again, because maybe it's also because it's a pure drama and maybe it's also because I wrote it. But what I did is that to make it as precise as possible, I did a lot of research. I found and scouted with my team 35 exceptional locations, an amazing soundtrack that's mostly actually from uh, British rock and roll. Um, just to show how precise and prepared I was, because it's my debut theater film. So you have to prove yourself. So, well, I would say, I guess it worked. Um, 
The first people actually I had to convince my end was the people in Saint-Tropez. Because uh, um, obviously uh, their history is extremely important. So I went there um, to find the best places. I also had to do a lot of work with the crew and the cast. Because with a period drama, you really can do no mistake. Um, my first audience for the movie will be the people who actually lived in the 60s. And we'll say, oh my God, this is exactly what it was like. It really was a magical time. Um, and I think most of us can actually identify to the characters. But the first people who will actually acknowledge the movie will be the people who live then. So to me, I actually, I wrote it. I did a lot of research. I put money myself and I prepared everything. And I think this is what convinced, on top of obviously your passion and your vision, this is what shows people what you're ready to do for it. Yeah, it shows you're committed. Yeah, that's amazing. Were you doing, uh, were you doing mood boards? Were you doing pitch decks? As well as obviously a detailed budget, which obviously your background is in anyway a little bit. I mean, did you fully learn all that? And did you have everything set out to send to your investors? Uh, yes, pretty much everything. So as you mentioned, storyboard, mood board, all the locations, pictures, music, and then obviously cast and even crew. And, and even the hair and the makeup, because for pure drama, you can do like the best sound, the best uh, image. If you're either hair or if there is a detail that is not fine, it will show and it will be hard to fix. So pretty much everything. They received uh, all that matter and obviously also the distribution plan because this movie is quite, um, is quite international. It's, it's set in two countries. And it has characters from three different uh, nationalities, French, American, and British. Which is kind of quite ambitious for your first project, right? People say just do it in a room with two people and get your film made. You had 35 locations. You shot USA and France. I mean, that's ambitious. But why not? So, I mean, there is that point of going, well, that's my vision and that's what I want to do. So go for it. You don't yeah. have to do two people in make, the room. Make the story that you're passionate about. Like, because if you haven't got that passion and that kind of fire driving you forward, it doesn't matter what what the genre or the budget is. Absolutely, it, the audiences aren't going to care. So that's what that's what drives people forward. Yeah. Um, so you know, being an actor and a director, did you have someone like the DOP or someone on set to kind of give you direction when you were acting, or did you just kind of trust it? Did you watch playbacks? What was the the process? Because there's some actor directors in the audience tonight. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So considering our schedule, it was not possible for me to watch playbacks. Not a lot. So obviously it's a big challenge. I'm lucky in a way that I'm definitely a technical actor. I started acting when I was eight. I'm not a method actor. So the way I work with my acting is that it, it enables me to very easily switch from acting to directing. And Obviously, there were weeks of rehearsals with all the major roles, all the major actors in the movie, because in a way, you kind of have to get every little thing prepared. There were obviously people watching the monitor, um, AD, first AD, hair, makeup, the DP, obviously. But the thing is that it's hard to, to you cannot really, you, I couldn't afford the time of asking everyone's opinion and everyone would have a different opinion. So I actually had to rehearse a lot and then to kind of feel it. And it worked. And it's especially very um, dangerous when, as, uh, as we did, we had no choice um, than sometimes just to do one take. So <laughs> it's just one take. And the only um, reason why it worked is that we were very prepared, really. Because when you have one take, it's... Was that mainly a time thing? Was it a time thing, a location thing? Was it, what was the main reason why you could only do one take? Sounds scary. Uh, actually, definitely. Generally speaking, it was the time, obviously. But yeah. uh, there's something that's really interesting is that in the south of France, the natural light can be extremely good. Uh, and it's also a balance. For instance, there was this scene that was happening in a garden and the sun was uh, setting. And there was this beautiful light uh, from the sun setting on south of France, which is quite moving and really, um, really matched the scene. Um and so the, the light was absolutely perfect. So we just did one take for my close-up and I could feel that I was right. And I absolutely wanted to, to have the close-up for the lead actor who's acting with me just to be the exact same light, just so he has the same advantage. So 
this is when you just take the risk to say, okay, after rehearsing for weeks and weeks and doing all this, this is just what it is. Yeah, sometimes you just get it, don't you, in that moment, you get it. Um, let's, let's jump back slightly in terms of how you, you talked about you went to an investor or maybe a group of investors and got the money. Was that because you set out everything in front of them and were they willing to back that, obviously, with you directing and starring in it? How, how did that play out? Talk us through that. And did you show any of your past works? Did you have like shorts? Yeah. You're sort of saying like, this is kind of what I'm capable of. Yes, absolutely. Uh, pretty much both of that. What I think is that as a director, a good director, a very good director is someone that can really bring the best out of people and also help them move up. For instance, your lead actor should feel that he's never acted as well. Your DP should feel it's his best work. Um, hair and makeup should feel they've done the best hair and makeup, etc. Um, so what I've done is that obviously, uh, this is backed by a lot of work. Um, so my background, I started acting when I was eight and then I worked at the top distributors in France, which are Gaumont and SNDMC's group. So the very best of people in France for distributing. I work with festivals around the world. I worked, I think it was my first internship. I worked at Panavision in Paris. Nice. So I got my hands on all, every camera I could see. Just because I think, as you said, Adam, I really agree. I feel like at the end of the day, anyone can do filmmaking. It's all a lot about passion. It's not like you have to be a, I don't know the English word, like a neuroscientist or something. That's anyone can word, do yeah. it. It's true. It's all about how much you care, how, how much passion you put into it. Um, I also feel that, yeah, when you really have a passion, you're really ready to learn about everything. So I learned about um, cinematography five years ago. I learned about distributing. I learned screenwriting. I started acting when I was eight. Uh, I even t took actually makeup classes. I really want to know everything because when I talk to someone in the cast and crew, I want to know what this person is doing. And I want to, be to bring the best out of this person. And this needs for sure a few knowledge about what this person is doing. And, and also like distribution and sales, like it, it's definitely like a massive factor in getting investment. If, uh, you know, if your investors know that you've thought about where it's actually going to go afterwards, like it's, it's all very well having a good film, but if they're just like, there's no route to market, then you're kind of going nowhere. hundred percent. I think it's vital that you start marketing your film right at the very beginning. Where's it going to go? Who's your audience? Have a, uh, a poster, have it all designed out. You've really got to, you've got to think about it as soon as you start writing the script. It's, it's so important because people aren't, there's so many films get made and why is yours going to stand out and think about it from the very beginning of who's your audience, who you're targeting. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Um, so in terms of then you've obviously got important crew around you. Did you push to get the best you could possibly? You cannot always have the best crew and the best cast. But what you can do is 
obviously audition and see a lot of people and feel who's the person who's going to understand your vision, who's the person who's going to bring the best, but also with the rest of the cast and crew. Because obviously at the end of the day, you're not managing just this person and this actor and the makeup artist. You have to manage everyone. And this is my, my, my vision as a director. I feel you're being the best piece of work if people really want or motivated to, to bring the best of themselves. And for that, I think it really, it really requires a lot of understanding of what the person is looking for, what's the next stage in his or her career, and really understand how all of that on set is going to click together, which is a bit complex in a way. It's not just about one person, it's about the whole movie. When you uh, speak, spoke to your investors, did you get a group of them in the end, or was it just one you targeted? How? Because obviously it's really important to us. It's the main thing, isn't it, why we can't make films is money. It shouldn't be, but it is, and it doesn't have to be, but it is. Um, in your case, did you target various investors? How did you find it? Yeah, what? a few. There were a few who invested for different reasons, but mainly um, bringing money back, like basically um, per the percentage. Oh, okay. Also, obviously, the passion in it, yeah? in the of course, project. Of but um, also, obviously, like the, it's always very risky to invest in the movie, but there are a certain number of factors that can convince an investor that he's going to get his or her money back. This is why I really advise to have things prepared, because I feel also that an investor can be a bit... Um, a bit skeptical if your project doesn't seem ready. Like, for instance, if you don't have all your locations or the cast, it's going to obviously take a few months to get that together. If you have everything ready and you just say, we just need the money, <laughs> just that, and, <laughs> you know, we're ready to go tomorrow, then it's a different story. It shows you're prepared. And I think that it, it's really important also to know about distribution and about what's making... Um, what's making a movie sold and what very, what is the tendency uh, like go on markets and understand what distributors are looking for because it also can uh, vary depending on the year so absolutely did you pre-sell the movie then no no pre-sell it was um, a choice of mine actually we got investors more quickly but what did you learn from this movie that you're going to take forward into your you know, your next film uh, I what think, would you do differently, basically? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think in, at the end of the day, when you want everything to be per to be perfect, it can be easy to um, to to lose your priorities. And I would say what is very important. So it's not something that I would do differently. This is more something I would do exactly the same. For instance, in the movie, there is a dancing scene. There is also a big fight scene, and. In my opinion, it's also because I'm a producer, but it's really important that, um, well, priority number one is security. So obviously security for the, the crew, for the cast, but also for, for your belongings. Um, so for instance, I really, I, for me, it didn't matter how much it would cost. It was extremely important that everyone gets driven to the set. No one drives. Um, and obviously for the fight scene, there were a few stunts, so it's even more important to make sure that everyone is safe. And I think it's something that sometimes can be a bit forgotten. So that's number one. And then um, I would say that what's extremely important is to be able to make choices very quickly. Uh, you need to be extremely prepared. But when something is happening on D-Day, every minute you lose, and this is why we couldn't afford playback, but every minute you lose is a minute you don't have footage from. And so when there is a problem as a director, it's your responsibility to make the right decision very fast. So to do that, it's important to understand what's the priority, understanding your vision, what can you compromise with and what you can't compromise with. So what should happen? So you have to say cut, we do it again, or you can say, okay, it's fine. Let's move on. It's really important. How do you deal with problems then? How do you deal with issues on set when something went wrong? What was Because obviously you're in it as well and that, that can become a real problem to not see other staff, I suppose. What, was, what happened when something did go wrong? Maybe it didn't. I don't know. Maybe it was a great shoot. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it was, it was actually... Uh, there were a few great magical moments, but there are always a bit of contingency. And this is why it's important to keep a bit of contingency in the budget too. Actually, it's really important. Um, well, 
I think the most, uh, the biggest challenge for us was actually the weather. Uh, we shot from April to June, apart from the scenes in LA, and it was supposed to be um, a very sunny weather. But uh, we had actually, uh, when we shot the beach scene, it was extremely cold. Uh, and we had another scene we shot, it happened to be extremely hot and even burning. And so when that happens, you really have to make quick decisions regarding, um, all right, so shall we change the schedule? For that, I think um, what is important is always to have a plan B, like to have a schedule for plan A. And if something happens wrong, when what will you shot, shoot? Like, for instance, if it's raining, well, maybe it's good to have a plan B at another location that's inside. It's something that um, sounds not so important, but at the end of the day, if you don't have this, you lose a lot of time, and it can really compromise with your uh, with your schedule and footage. Absolutely, and that's really important to get a really good production manager on, yeah. which I take it you had to, to sort those shots, all um, problems. Um, let's talk about, you got the Rolling Stones on your soundtrack. Let's talk about how the fuck you did that. <laughs> oh, yes, I did. You know this movie. It was it was really magical. I'm I'm so thankful for the incredible things we got. Not just mentioning the, the locations, but also the soundtrack. Which song? I, 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 I can't tell the exact song yet. You can't tell us yet. <laughs> no, 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 not secret. yet. It's secret. You'll have to watch it. Um, but we have a song. I know, I know. Okay, I'm, the only thing I can tell you about this is that I remember very clearly. Can you so... sing it? Can you sing it? So we won't know. You, you hum it, I'll sing it. Hum it, yeah. <laughs> I have skills, but I can't sing, unfortunately. I, I don't like to you hum it, I'll sing it. Dom will sing it. <laughs> no, Dom doesn't I see know you. <laughs> what happened is that I was doing research, and this is where it's getting. No, I'm, I'm not giving it out. You'll have you to watch the film. You just got killed. <laughs> Carry on, please. But it's like, uh, I think it was when I, obviously, as it's a period drama, I did months of research. And I remember when I was uh, on French, I was looking, uh, I was watching French TV, and I saw this documentary of about the Rolling Stones, and they were singing this right this song. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> so close, you nearly that's very, said. That's very, that really, really fits the film so much, and I was like, oh my god, this is so perfect. <laughs> There are also other songs in the movie, but basically... We don't care about those. No. <laughs> I know, I'm such a fan. I'm such a fan. So I was like, it just it just fit the movie so well. And just like you mentioned Adam, I was like, but I mean, I'm never going to get it. It's so stupid. <laughs> How did you... Uh, or is it still ongoing? Is that why you can't say you're still talking to them about no, no, the no, license? No, or? no, no, it's no, done? it's signed, it's signed. It's, oh, congratulations, that's amazing. Yeah, so what did, so did, you, did you just... Uh, WhatsApp Jagger, or how did you get the... Well, basically, me... No. <laughs> you had a really good music supervisor, I just want to know how... Exactly. No, yeah. I did it myself. You WhatsApp Jagger. You're good at it. I can see why your movie happened, see? Exactly. Like, it's, obsession. it's obsession. you got to do it. Um, you contacted them yourself, did you just say? Yes, I mean, and yeah. No, 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 not the Stones, but the oh, um, right holders. Of course, and, yeah. Of course, and I mean, me... My my strategy is not very uh, original. I'm just very honest. So I just I called them. I told them I have no budget, but <laughs> but <laughs> but this movie is gonna show what it really was in the '60s, and it's a movie about authenticity, and it's never been done before. We never saw Saint-Tropez in the '60s before. It's gonna show how real artists brought change back in the time with their art, and it's true. But indeed, the music, the song really, really matched that very well. And so it convinced them. And I'm very thankful. Um, I guess it's a lot also in the relationship. But as you mentioned, Adam, when they feel um, you have a passion and the vision, I guess it helps. But I guess I think I really believe in my story, too. I think they were right. Yeah, and you it's should. True, it's never been done to. before. Yeah, you have to. How was it doing the period stuff then? You can tell us what song it was in a bit when the Q&A happens. Um, <laughs> In terms and Adam of the, will sing it. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of doing the period, because obviously it's people dressed up in different... How was that for you? How was... Obviously locations and stuff, does that make a big difference? Costumes, how does that work? Um, you mean difference on screen? Uh, no, in terms of preparing it, sorting out locations that don't have um, drain pipes or etc. or telephone poles. How was that? 
Yeah, I think it does change um, quite a few things uh, for working also on modern shoots. Uh, the big difference is that you really need a lot more preparation. Let's say uh, last minute you need to change location. In a period, Jamar, you cannot just turn your camera and be like, okay, let's shoot in this street. Because I, I saw that a lot in uh, mo on modern shoots, which is fairly easy to do because even if it doesn't look extremely, extremely good, if it's just one shot, it's fine, it will work. But here, it just can't work. I think also um, it changes things at all stages of preparation. Obviously, there was no way I was going to write a movie set in the 60s that's so character-driven, we thought interviewing so many people that lived in the 60s. When you're shooting, obviously, um, things are extremely different. Because again, you can do a, a good image and a good sound, but if the hair or the makeup is not done well, it's not going to be extremely easy to fix in post. So it's something you can't compromise with. Whereas if you're on a modern shoot, you could compromise with it and do more shots or do more scenes or do this or that. But here you can't. So that's a big difference. Um, and obviously, uh, during post, it changes quite a few things because actually, uh, I think that sound brings a lot to make a movie a B period. Obviously, the images is extremely important. Everything that's in the frame needs to be uh, authentic. Uh, this is why we got such exceptional locations. But also the sound is extremely important because everything would be extremely different. And this is, it's the sound mix that kind of brings this little touch where you actually can feel it's a period movie. So definitely, I would say it's a big difference. Amazing, amazing. Um, so basically, you managed to get everything done because of your tenacity, uh, but mainly because you were absolutely ridiculously prepared. So you had everything laid out and absolutely over-prepared exactly. and worked hard. Absolutely. Preparation, preparation, preparation. <laughs> absolutely. Let's give it up for Jenna, everyone. Amazing. Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. Amazing. Um, before we move on to Matt and Dom's brilliant film, Winter Ridge, let's just, to get the energy going again in the room, um, stand up if you're uh, a writer, if you're a screenwriter in the room, let's stand up. Come on, I like that. Cool, yeah, good. Come on, and let's stand up if you're a producer. Stand up in the room, producer. You can be both, you can be all three. Good, yeah. Okay, directors, who have we got as directors? Cool. Uh, and actors... And if you're all four, yeah, we like it. Conglomerates. <laughs> well one. <laughs> Perfect. So you've got to, you've got to say what you are. You've got to stand up and be counted and say, yeah, this is what we do, right? You, you can't shy away from it. It's amazing, right? Let's get on to Matt and Dot. Should we play the trailer, Winter Ridge? So, so yeah. you might have seen it, but let's let's play it. Wait, uh, Dom, say something while I try and get this ready. <laughs> Uh, well, the film stars Matt Hookings. Oh, it's ready. Here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, congratulations, Dom and Matt. He's gone. Matt, Matt's just left the building, by the way. <laughs> Hookings he doesn't has like left the building. himself on camera. Uh, well, let's start with you, Dom. Um, this is your third feature film. Uh, let's talk about the first two, because you don't like to. I don't like to, no. Um, so I made my first feature at uni. Uh, I just grew up watching feature films like everyone else. Uh, I made a couple of shorts where I was the unfortunate actor in, uh, which I definitely wouldn't recommend uh, watching. And um, I just wanted to make a feature, and it was our master's project. And uh, the lecturers, I remember them saying, like, in the New York Film Academy, go out and do a minute film. Um, and we were in Devon, so we just wanted to make Lord of the Rings at the time. Um, we'd recently seen 300 as well. So we kind of did... Uh, so you were we, thinking, we can do that. We can do that, exactly yeah, what they did. Very deluded. Um, but we just wanted to make, like, a, you know, that was the format that, that we were passionate about making. And there was, just, <laughs> there was actually just two of us making the film. Uh, so we had to do the... We built the sets. We built, like, um, thrones. We did the design. We did the costumes. We were both filming it. We were both directing. Uh, I was doing stunts, getting hit, hit in the head by plastic axes. Sounds um, good. Like, literally, like, everything you could do, editing it together doing VFX um, so it was like yeah like a two man team we shot it for like four grand um, it was basically just yeah shot over a year in, in our spare time and um, we just wanted to go through the process of making a feature because I think until you've done it it's very difficult to imagine doing it on a higher level um, and it is it's a different process just to actually commit to getting a feature film edited 
shot just because there's so much work involved. And you do get a unique uh, benefit in, in terms of like when you approach a project, having gone through that process. Hello, you lovely lot. I'm just jumping in here to tell you this is the end of part one. Yeah, that's right. You'll have to wait till Friday for part two. If you've enjoyed this and you want to come and join us on the next Make Your Film event, it is on March the 5th. And the guests we have so far is Matt and Tori Butler-Hart from Fizz and Ginger and BAFTA-nominated producer Jack Tarling. That is March the 5th. Link is in the show notes. Thank you for listening so far. Join us on Friday for part two, where we chat in depth with Finn Glynn about how he raised quite a lot of money and made a lot of really cool indie films and got some star names involved as well. He tells you all about how he did that. So come join us again on Friday. We can't wait to have you there. Until then, keep going. Make your indie film. Do it. Get out there. Write your script. Don't stop. Don't procrastinate and sit and watch episodes of EastEnders. Sod that shit. Write your script. Meet that producer and get making your film. Do it. Until Friday, take care. Bye-bye. This was a podcast from the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com.